Amen. If you've got your Bibles and you want to join me as we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, I'm going to be in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We have a reflection here from the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. Could you imagine if there was a story in which a set of adventurers decide and determine that they are going to go on a treasure hunt? And they wake up one morning, and they get in their car, and there's um, no trouble getting to the airport. So they board a plane, and they fly to the other side of the world, and hey, guess what? They land with no problems whatsoever. And they meet their guide at the airport, no problems whatsoever. And then they jump in the car, and they drive out into the middle of the rainforest, and there's no problem whatsoever. The roads are clear. There's no rain. There's no challenge. There's no whatever. They just in a stroke of luck, they just stumble right across this hidden temple that has been so hard for everybody else to find, but they get there, no problems whatsoever, and they walk in, and there's no danger whatsoever, and they grab the jewel, and they go home, and it's just great, right? What adventure story have you ever read that that is the plot line? In every story that matters, whether it be a pirate's tale or it be those old national treasure movies that Nicolas Cage was in, and they're making a whole new series now about somebody else, right, that's coming out. Every single one of them, they have a challenge that is in front of them. They have a, a, a treasure that they are pursuing. And what makes the story worth listening is the fact that they are going to come across suffering and challenges and danger and what makes it exciting and what draws us back to that story every single time time as they strive for the joy and the pleasure and the treasure that is on the other side is the obstacles that they have to overcome. And the transformations that take place inside that character every step along the way until they come to the end and they find that that treasure and they find their way home safely. What makes the story exciting is the challenges. And yet... How many of us, when we think about our lives, want a story like that? Which would we choose? The story where everything just goes according to plan and it's easy peasy, one, two, three, right? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, we just skirt right in, we get what we need, we skirt right out, there's nothing. And yet the stories that we love the most are the ones that have challenges, and yet the story that we would choose for our lives where we in charge is a story where nothing ever goes wrong. And so often, that's what we think this life of a Christian, characterized by the gospel, is supposed to be. And there are preachers who preach that if you were truly saved, you would never have any challenges or difficulties or problems. But Paul says, I choose the life of problems. I choose the life that is characterized by suffering and death. Because what's on the other side is that important. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the example of Paul. Lord Jesus, thank you for the example of the life that you came to live. Thank you for the promise of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the grace and the mercy that we don't deserve to live the life that you've called us to live. So I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, as we focus on the gospel, that you would shake us up. Father God, let us be content in the life that you have given to us, in the story that you are writing for us, even if that means, Heavenly Father, that we are not comfortable in the life that you have given to us and the calling and the story that you are writing for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. As Paul opens these verses, he opens it with a warning. And he's telling them something that he says, it's, it's my pleasure, it's my joy to say the same thing to you over and over and over again. It's a reminder to me as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mission statement of my ministry is this, I'm going to preach the gospel for the salvation of the lost and the sanctification of the saints. It's the same story. We as Christians don't need something in addition to what the lost needs we need to be reminded day by day, again and again, that what we need is Christ and the transformation that he works in our lives. Not something additional and new. Jesus says in his passage in Luke 15 and 14 and 15, or John 14 and 15, he says, hey, listen, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So often growing up in my life, I read that verse with the emphasis on the wrong half of the verse, where Jesus said, if you love me, you better keep my commandments. The proof of your love for me is that you keep my commandments. But all of a sudden, I was reading somebody, I don't remember if it was Dane Ortland or whoever else, and they flipped that verse on its head and it said, hey, listen, if you love me, if you just focus your love on me, everything else will take care of itself. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, keeping my commandments will be the overflow of your love for me. Don't, love, don't keep my commandments so you can love me. Love me so you can keep my commandments. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed to see, teach you the same thing over and over again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the joy of, this, of the Christian. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the life of the Christian as we continue to come and posture ourselves in need of God. And But Paul gives a warning because Paul says there are people inside the church, there are people in the world, there's a voice inside of your heart and my heart that would pull you from the gospel. 
He says, be aware and be vigilant against the dogs and against those agitators, against those evildoers, the ones who want to convince you that this life that God has given to you is about religious rule following. It's about keeping all of the right laws and rules, and in that you will earn a righteousness of your own. A religious system is always a placebo. It never accomplishes what it promises. It's a false system of control that says, if I do A, B, and C, then I'm good with God. And they promise not only this, this spiritual placebo for our lives, religious systems also provide a really great, great way of advancing socially and physically in the world. If I can climb the ranks in my church, if I can climb the ranks in my denomination, if we can build this really great big six flags for Jesus all right here in the middle of Clarksville, then we can advance ourselves if we do all of the right things and we have all of the right programs in place. We can build something that looks really impressive that's a whitewashed tomb. Clean on the outside and diseased and dead on the inside. And that's what Paul says that these Judaizers, these religious folks, that's what they're offering you. Something that looks beautiful and fancy on the outside. Something that gives you the false sense of control over your life, but ultimately will leave you broken and dead. And Paul says all of it is worthless. If you want proof, Paul says, look at me. If there's anybody that knows the system it's Paul. He says, look at my life. I had it all. Everything that these Judaizers, these religious folks are promising you, if you would keep all of this and make it true of your life and step in in this level of obedience to all of these things, everything that they are promising you, Paul says, I had. I was an Israelite, naturally born. I was a Hebrew of Hebrew. I was trained in the best schools. I had the best teacher, one of the best teacher in all of that ancient times. Paul said, I had power in the church, and I was advancing, and I was zealous, and I was persecuting. I had it all. If there's anybody that was set up to rock the religious system of the first century, it was Paul. If there was anybody set up to be the ancient first century pope, it would have been Paul. Paul says, every bit of it is false. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Yesterday, we took the boys, while we were out, we were running some errands, and a couple of weeks ago, we'd had a conversation about Freddy's down the road, and that they'd never eaten at Freddy's. And I thought, let's just go to Freddy's. And finally, finagled and twisted and uglied my wife into letting us go to Freddy's. And we went to Freddy's, and the boys ate it, and at the end of it, they asked the question, okay, Freddy's or Wendy's? Wendy's, hands down. And I'm sorry if you, I like Freddy's, I don't mind, I mind, but for my boys, been there, done that, it's not all that big a deal. Paul says, I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt, it's not worth it. I've tried the religious thing. It isn't worth it. It's empty on the end. And so Paul has found something infinitely more beautiful than whatever it is that church has to offer. And religious rule following has to offer. He says, what is, and what is it that is more beautiful to Paul than any of that? It's knowing Jesus Christ. He says everything else is garbage. It's rubbish. It's a little bit too, I don't know, it's a little too British for me. It's rubbish. No, it's not. It's sewage. 
It's garbage. Everything that it has to offer, it's garbage. It's empty. It's waste. It is poisonous. As beautiful as it might look, it will only poison you. The greater prize, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. The prize that Paul has put his eyes upon is not anything in this world and anything that this life has to offer. Paul never built a six flags over Jesus. Paul never spent very long in any place at all before he moved on because he was so focused on building the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. And he was working from church to church and region to region all for the sake of proclaiming Christ again and again and again even writing these letters to churches that he had planted years before to remind them of the gospel. The only one that was written to a congregation that Paul hadn't already planted and pastored was Romans. And that's the fullest articulation of Paul's gospel because he's going there and he wants to make sure when I get there, we need to be on the same page. For Paul, the prize was Jesus Christ. But mostly... It was what he found in Christ. Because he says, in Christ, I get a righteousness that's not my own. Right? He said, according to the law, earlier, according to the law, I was righteous. I was blameless. He said, but there's an even greater righteousness. It's not my righteousness. What does he say? He says right there, he says, a righteousness from God. It's God's righteousness. Doesn't matter how righteous I get in this life. Doesn't matter how well I follow the rules. That will never compare to the glory of God's righteousness given in grace. What Paul is articulating here is grace. It is the unmerited favor of God, which is what he has received, freely given to him by God. It's God's righteousness that has been set upon Paul. Not because of anything that he did. All of that is rubbish. All of that is garbage. All of that is sewage. It is simply because of who God is. That he accomplished all things for Paul through Christ. The one who was blameless. I was reading through the book of Ecclesiastes in my devotional time this week. And there's a passage of scripture in there. I think it's in chapter 4 where the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, says, there is no one. There's no one worthy. There is no one righteous. There is no one who ever sins. And you know, for Solomon, that was true. He knows it. And we stop and we think about it and we know it. But there was a voice inside of my heart in that moment that said, oh, if he had only known. If he had only known what would come in his great, 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 great grandson." who would live a perfect and spotless and righteous life, who would never sin, who would never be guilty and therefore would never be um, deserving of the punishment of death, and yet who chose to die. And you see, that's the pattern that Paul sees. Because Paul sets his eyes on the prize, which is the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ, and that changes how he lives his life. It's not about religious rule following. It's not about institutional climbing. It's not about working his way up some system of God's favor. Instead, he takes a downward trajectory that I may know the power of Christ's resurrections and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
Paul says that upward way of life that I had and I was excelling at, I'm done with it. My life is down. Down in suffering and down in death and down into the grave. Because that's Jesus' trajectory. Just flip the page in your Bible. Go back one chapter. Maybe you can even just look on the other side of your Bible. If you go back to chapter 2, that's the place where Paul has laid out the ultimate pattern for you and for me. That Jesus Christ, though he was on the throne of the universe, didn't consider his universal royalty as something to be clung to and held onto, but instead emptied himself by going low and coming to dwell among sinners, to be sinned against, to be defied, to be falsely accused, to be falsely convicted, to be hung on a cross, and to drink the cup of eternal damnation that you and I deserve because of our sin. The path of Jesus Christ was down from the heights of heaven to the depths of the grave. And he did it, the author of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him. As he saw past the grave and had hope in the promise of God. We use hope so flippantly in this, in this life. Oh, I hope that it doesn't rain this week. Oh, I hope that I get to go and see that movie. Oh, I hope that we'll get to see each other the next time that you come through. As though it is this, this thing with an uncertain outcome. But hope in Scripture is the assured understanding of whatever it is that my hope is set on is going to happen. Hope in the New Testament is the equivalent of waiting upon the Lord in the Old Testament. It's this active assurance that God is going to do something. He will keep His promises. And it is this active looking for God to do so. And Paul's life was characterized by the hope that as I share in the sufferings for Jesus Christ, and even as it takes me to death and the grave, I will share in his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we want the glory of eternity in heaven. We want to share in the glories of Jesus Christ. But if that's going to happen... We have to embrace the grave because resurrection can only happen after death. Restoration can only happen after destruction. Healing only comes after suffering. And the way of Christ was to embrace it for the glory of God and the good of others. And that is the mission of the Christian. The little Christ. The one who is characterized by the grace and the mercy of the gospel. The gospel is a call for us to leave our lives of comfort and control and instead pursue the prize of Christ in the pattern of Christ by denying ourselves and taking up our cross every moment of every day and pursuing after Jesus Christ because that's the pattern that he set. That's the pattern that Paul chose. That's the pattern that we are called to. That's the pattern that this is a reminder of. Because this is a reminder of the cost of our freedom. The cost of our eternity and everlasting life. For us to receive eternal life, God had to die. 
for us to receive eternal life, eternal life itself had to embrace death. And so the night before he was crucified, Jesus drew his disciples in and he took the bread and he broke it in front of them and said, every time that you eat this, remember my body. His body, which was beaten beyond recognition, torn to shreds. The body that was given for you and for me. Willingly. And he took the cup of wine and he said, every time that you drink of this, remember that my blood is the new covenant in Christ. The new covenant of a relationship with God as his blood was poured out and his blood cleanses us of all of our unrighteousness. And it's the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. And it's our faith and our belief in Christ alone. And not any work or labor on my behalf. Not any rule that I follow. Not any church that I attend. Not the number of times that I pray. Not the amount of scripture that I have memorized. Not how many times I was dunked in a baptistry. Not how obedient and a good little Christian that I am out in the world. It is only tied to one thing, what Jesus did. And do I trust that? And this is a reminder and a call to every single one of us. Don't trust in yourself because you can offer nothing. Trust in Jesus and take Christ into yourself and believe in him every moment of every day because your life is a journey. There's a prize at the end of it, but there's suffering on the way. There's obstacles along the way. And it's those obstacles and that suffering that make the journey worthwhile. Because in those obstacles and in those sufferings, we get a unique opportunity to fellowship with Jesus, who didn't choose a life of easy, but who chose to suffer and to die. And he calls us to do the same. So my invitation to you is as we prepare our hearts to eat this bread and drink this juice, that we remember not only what Jesus did, but see it as a pattern that he has set for you and for me to live our lives for the sake of his glory and the good of one another and the good of those that are around us. Receiving the gospel and taking the Lord's Supper is a call to die. Will you die to yourself today that you might find life in Jesus Christ?